0: to where you can actually go off and do your own thing. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. We are officially hitting the middle of the week. Hard to believe it's flown right on by for the first week back after the Easter celebration. Welcome into the show. It is The Voice of Reason. I am Andy Hoosier on a Wednesday broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, though. Multiple radio stations, TV stations, live streaming and podcasting. Your millennial general reporting for duty like we do every single day. Welcome into the show. Holy cow, do we have a lot to talk about. Democrats sensing a little bit of desperation, are we? They're starting out their uh, campaign ads already. Now this is, I gotta remember, this is April, right? By the way, this is 420, so (laughs) happy 420 to you if that's your thing. I don't, I don't, but hey, if you do, then all the power to you, but happy 420 to those. It is April, so we have May, June, July, August, September, October, November. We're looking at seven, eight months away until the actual elections. The primaries really start here in a couple of months across the nation, but Democrat super PACs already rolling out the campaign ads of moderate Republicans, a fake But This is always their tactic. I used to be a Republican, and now I vote Democrat because the Democrats are solving issues for us that we need to actually... You know, take care of because they're serious about solving the issues of America. There, there you go. I just, I just saved all the super PACs billions of dollars by (laughs) the campaign ads right there. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. What are they actually campaigning on? What could they possibly talk about that's positive for the Democrat Party? We'll get into in a little bit. Bottom of the hour, we have Congressman Frank Lucas. He is the third congressional district from the state of Oklahoma, just south of us here. He's a wonderful guy, great friend. We've had him on before, and we want to talk about food shortages. Well, food shortages are on the way with uh, the ongoing battle between Russia and the Ukraine, the lack of exports going on, the lack of agriculture coming out of there, the starvation going on in China. You see people jumping out of their buildings and, and apartment buildings because they can't survive any longer and they don't want to sit there and starve any longer. It's a terrible ordeal. Is it coming our way, and what do farmers and ag producers and grocery stores have to do to try and survive and actually make sure that we are okay Here in the US. We'll get to all that and more coming up at the bottom of the hour, but I have a special treat for you. As you know, just a couple of weeks ago on this program, we had the honor to talk to Dr. Robert Malone, talking about the vaccines, talking about the latest from COVID 19. And now that we see this back in the news with airlines, with Lyft, with Ubers, now getting rid of mask mandates. But at the same time, still trying to ram through vaccine mandates in different parts of the nation. The battle isn't over. We patted ourselves on the back yesterday. We celebrated the fact that some of the mandates were going away because they didn't need to be there. But the battle's not over. So I am super honored to have this guy on the program and our latest in what's trending what's trending today he is the former vice president of the company eco health alliance he is an army combat veteran he is a scientist he is the author of his upcoming book which i can't not wait to have come out back uh, in a couple of months here the truth about wuhan how i uncovered the biggest lie in history i'm excited to have on the program dr andrew huff with us here doctor how are you my friend I'm fantastic. How are you? I am living the dream. I really appreciate you coming on. This is big news now that uh, they always say the truth always comes out in the end. And this is my parents telling me that as a kid. You know, never lie, because the truth always comes out in the end. Uh, This apparently seems to be the trend in politics now as well because they pulled the bowl over our eyes for the last two years. You need to be scared, you need to isolate, you need to social distance, you need to uh get the vaccines, you need to wear the mask. Da, 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 da. And oh by the way, the virus didn't actually come from uh China or Wuhan. It actually came from like bats or something weird like that. So is the truth, Doctor, coming out in the end here and are we finally starting to realize what the heck happened over the last couple of years?
1: I think that we're actually starting to pull back the first layer of the onion. There's still quite Uh, a bit of investigation that needs to happen or current. In my book, um, I walk the the reader through all of this and and to sort of preview, you know, where this is headed. uh, A fair amount of the research around COVID-19 was actually done in the United States at a few different laboratories here. Somehow that that intellectual property gets transferred to China um, or they actually replicate or copy the work that we had done here. And they synthesize the virus in China. The only really question remaining is whether it's an intentionally released or a laboratory accident. And I uh, explain those different scenarios in the book and, and give my opinion. And then at the very end, I leave the audience um, or the readers trying to figure out or, and decide for themselves which, which scenario they want to go with. And it could be both.
0: It could be, built. Let's go back to the beginning on why we were researching this and sending money to China to research this in the first place. I know that we do different funding to test viruses, to try to expand, to try and understand them more, to try and get antiviruses or try to get vaccines or whatever. But what was the purpose, especially with this one, the coronavirus, the COVID-19 strain of this virus? What was the point of us originally sending money to actually study this in the first place?
1: Well, the whole argument around this type of research is that if we're doing research or gain-of-function research, so enhancing the transmissibility, the pathogenicity, the infectivity of a, uh, of a pathogen, or in this case, a virus, if we do that, we make it a worse, natural. we can develop a medical countermeasure, a vaccine or a treatment to counter it. Hmm. Um, so the idea is that we can get ahead of Mother Nature, so to speak. Yeah. The only problem is that this this virus that went through hundreds of thousands of years of evolution in the laboratory from the changes that are made, that there's no way that this type of virus would have ever emerged. So, I've actually been against gain of function research my entire career uh, for this very reason the laboratory actions happen. They've happened throughout history, actually. They continue to happen. And if we're doing this type of work and you can't contain it and your countermeasures don't work, your vaccines, you know, why are we doing this in the first place?
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Now, let's refresh individuals on the timeline that this went through as well. When we first heard about this and, you know, of course, President Donald Trump was in office then and talking about the China virus, which he got a lot of heat for, and they called him racist and they said he was bigoted and he weren't allowed to do that. And then we mentioned the gain-of-function studies in Wuhan that was potentially tied, by the way, to Dr. Anthony Fauci. It was shut down. We saw the emails released from Anthony Fauci's emails talking about how I don't want this out and and how he was in, in contact with the Wuhan labs uh, back there why was this shut down why was that uh message not released and why did they try to say it came from a bat or some type of weird animal
1: well there's a lot to unpack there so the first thing that everyone should know in your audience is that the gain of function work that um what's funded by NIH and Dr. Anthony Fauci actually began under USAID and not Dr. Anthony Fauci um, they leveraged this program called PREDICT uh to obtain the relationship and the preliminary data and samples uh, to actually assume that NIH funding. So it actually goes farther back than, than NIH. Dr. Anthony Fauci. And what was the second part of your question? So I want to make sure I cover it.
0: Oh, just why they tried to cover that up when it started coming out, showing that we did have ties to this lab and why they were researching it.
1: Well, because their fingerprints are all over it, and it impl- implicates uh, so many different government agencies, so many different people, uh, very powerful, powerful people, uh, in, in science and academia. And, you know, the sort of sad thing for our country is here is that this works spanned administrations. Um, and it, it was mismanaged. So, uh, nobody really wants this to happen on their watch. And I think this became politically motivated because, uh, Democrats or the Biden administration, uh, don't want the scandal to go down on their watch. So I think everyone's trying to keep the can down the road uh, to see what happens.
0: It's unfortunate. So now that we have this information, you're starting to unpack this, you have a lot of this in your book, and there's a lot of research that still needs to be done, a lot of investigations that need to be done. Potentially, what could come out of this? Could we actually prove that our federal government was funding this, that we were heavily involved with this? And could we eventually, potentially, get to the point where we could show that they tried to release this intentionally or unintentionally?
1: Well, um, there, there's a couple of interesting things going on. So we're actually filing lawsuits against the Biden administration the next few weeks, uh, Attorney Tom Rents and I, and we're actually laying out the legal argument of uh, why the United States is partially responsible for this scan of function work disaster. Um, it, it, it should, we should be able to get to the bottom then. The only real trick here, the real question, will be what actually happened in China? And unless Chinese scientists come forward and uh, or people who are heavily tied to the research, and actually lay out what happened, we'll never know what happened exactly in China. But yeah. I think the evidence all suggests it's only a laboratory leak, it was on, or it was only intentional. There was no potential for this to be, uh, no possibility that this was a naturally emerging infectious disease. It's yeah. impossible.
0: That's unfortunate, because we'd like to get down to the answers of this, and I think that would help answer how we move forward with this as well. Your thoughts, Doctor, and uh, as we got a couple minutes left here, is uh, your thoughts, how do we move forward with this, and with this information, does that change how we do the response on it later on?
1: Well, there's a number of different things that we need to do, but the first thing or the most valuable thing we could do uh, would be to have a complete ban on gain-of-function. This type of research needs to stop. It's, it's not benefiting us. Yeah. And this whole idea that vaccines are countermeasures, but we're creating a problem, and then we think, we think we're creating a solution, and then our solution doesn't work. And, you know, it's cost millions of lives, billions of trillions of dollars globally, uh, and it's restricted freedoms globally. I mean, the simple solution here is to bring uh, an end to domestic in a function research. And uh, we could probably go speak about the uh, BioWeapons Convention uh, from the seventies, and that could probably be amended too. But that's that's probably a, a bigger a reach. And, excuse me, and more difficult.
0: Yeah, it is unfortunate. Uh, this COVID nineteen pandemic, from what you've seen, from what we've seen with the gain of function research, and what you've been able to find out, are we ever going to see the end of COVID, or are we going to see these subvariants continue to introduce themselves into society now that uh, we're kind of with it and it's airborne? Well, COVID's going
1: to be with us for eternity now, and that's okay. You know, new diseases emerge uh, naturally. This one didn't. Sure. But once they're in the population in humans, this is a disease um, where we're going to become infected with it. And hopefully over time, uh, we can become better at it. Uh, we're not having severe illness. Right. And really, if that's what my crystal ball story says about where this disease has had.
0: Sure. On a scale, uh, do you think of some of the other scandals that we've seen in the world and even in our own government between uh, what the Biden administration's done, what Obama I- administration has done, all the way back to Watergate, this sort of thing? Your book, The Truth About Wuhan, How I Uncovered the Biggest Lie in History, where does this fall on the scale of cover-ups and scandals from governments?
1: Well, I think, you know, given the consequences of the events, um, millions of deaths, trillions wasted, this is easily the biggest scandal in U.S., history, if not human history. The other thing that I reveal in the book is that Dr. Peter Daszak, uh, the president of the National Alliance, told me that he was working with the CIA. Mm-hmm. And if that's true, then what that means is this is also the largest failure since 9-11, the uh, biggest one in history. So uh, I discuss that in detail in the book. Uh, also, the what, what I phrase as the biosurveillance intelligence system, So the U.S. government has spent billions of dollars building this uh, intelligence collection apparatus around uh, infectious diseases. It's human intelligence. It's machine learning or artificial intelligence. It's sample collection. And if that system's not working, and we're not getting an early warning of these things, we need to revisit that and ask whether or not this this money is being well spent and, and try to think how we can overhaul that program.
0: Yeah. Yeah, very true. We're talking with Doctor Andrew Huff. We got just about forty seconds here, but uh, your personal opinion after writing the book, after researching this uh, with the COVID outbreak that happened in March of twenty twenty, within months the books came out about a great reset and the takeover and centralization of powers. Do you personally think that was that this was intentionally released into the into the uh, public?
1: Well, I think you'll have to buy the book. (laughs) I discuss that in the book. I love it, Uh, and I make a pretty I make a pretty good argument. Uh, for my position, sure. And I've presented this argument to other journalists, other other intellectuals in the space, other scientists, and no one's been able to poke a hole in it. Uh, so I really encourage everyone to pick up the uh, book. You won't be disappointed.
0: I love it. Coming out June seventh, we'll get you back on. I'd love to get you on <laughs> as the book comes out as well in early June. The truth about Wuhan is Dr. Andrew Hoff Doctor, we appreciate it, my friend. Let's talk again here real soon. Hey, appreciate it. All right, we got to take a break Reason. here. The Voice of Reason coming up for a midweek celebration. Stay right here.
2: bring some reason into your
0: day this is the voice of reason with andy hoosier back into the program boy i'm telling you trying to get the information out like nobody else dr andrew huff appreciate him coming on the program dr robert malone we had on a couple of weeks ago getting down to what really went on during the covid 19 pandemic andy why does it matter where it came from it matters because we need to make sure it doesn't happen again and we need to make sure how it was if it was by accident natural then there's nothing you can do about it if it was done uh, accidentally but uh, it was man well then you know what now we need to figure out what went wrong to not uh, do that again it changed the course of humanity on a global scale, and that's kind of an important thing to figure out on the uh, t- uh, patient zero or the beginning of it or the dawn of it or however you want to look at it. There's a reason why we research this these things to make sure it doesn't happen again. So uh, we'll continue to talk about it. We'll have uh, tomorrow Michael Beatrice. He wrote one of the first books about COVID-19 and the lockdowns. I think we'll have him on the program tomorrow as well. But until then, let's shift gears a little bit, get into our latest and what's trending. What's trending today? I do want to spend a little bit of time on this today, as according to the Wall Street Journal, Florida Senate has officially passed their bill to eliminate Disney's special tax district, meaning, and we talked about this yesterday, the fact that Disney... Disney World, the Disney headquarters in Florida, has their own local government functions. They pay taxes differently. They manage their land differently. They kind of rule what the heck goes on. It's like their own kingdom. The The Disney kingdom there actually is its own technical kingdom with its own local government deciding on its property and what they do with it and how they manage it. Yeah, Didn't know that was a thing and you were allowed to do that. I didn't realize that they were a Native American reservation where they could actually just kind of do their own thing as their own quote-unquote land and their own quote-unquote territory. I didn't know that that was a thing for a company that was just a corporation living the dream, but apparently they are. Now, I'm glad that Republicans, as we mentioned yesterday, are actually fighting to end this because this is stupid. Why was it like that in the actual first place? Apparently, it happened in the 60s when they tried to get uh, Disney to go down there and actually expand and do what they needed to do. But according to the Wall Street Journal today, the Republican-led Florida Senate passed the bill. That would eliminate the tax district that allows Walt Disney uh, to govern the land where where its theme park sits as lawmakers try to target the company, according to the Wall Street Journal, for opposing legislation restricting classroom instruction on gender and sexual identity. Look, this isn't some type of retribution because they oppose it. And this is what the media needs to get through their thick skulls. And I know it's very difficult for activist progressives who think that the world needs to go exactly as they want and as they think, or else they just need to burn the world down and start over and, as Barack Obama says, fundamentally transform the nation. I get that progressives think that we need to live in a utopia where everybody thinks the same and acts the same and does the same and lives the same. You're not going to get it. The world is too grand. You've put people in too many boxes, and the identity boxes are starting to clash which means your party is crumbling from inside. It's rotting internally as a party and as an ideology, and it's never going to work, and it's starting to show its ugly face just like this. We're not opposing Walt Disney's stance on it. I don't give a damn how Disney takes a stand on a piece of legislation. That's not what we're upset about. What we are upset about is that they're actively – fighting against it. Again, okay, you can actively fight against it. You can have your opinion. You can uh, donate to certain candidates that are going to support the bill or try and do something else. You have the prerogative in a free nation to do whatever you want to here. Again, not the issue. What we do have an issue with is you actively going against the Uh, general values and general norm of society by starting to push content to brainwash young children, not only in the classroom, but with the content that you're punching out as a corporation. And oh, by the way, why the hell do you think that you're so special? You get to act and just decide what's going to happen on your own land, like you're some type of Native American reservation as a victimized corporation. Not going to fly. So, We're going to level the playing field. You're going to pay taxes. You're going to pay property taxes. You're going to live under the governance like every other company, like every other person in the nation. You're not going to get any special treatment because of it by the way subscriptions have been going down for disney plus people haven't been showing up they're trying to give away their you know disney cruises because their popularity is dwindling and you're making that impact and you're making that change we'll talk some more about that here coming up in just a little bit right around the corner congressman frank lucas from the state of oklahoma right here on the, the voice, of reason. voice
2: of reason with andy
0: hoosier
2: When reason meets radio, you're listening to the voice of reason with Andy Hoosier. Done right,
0: well, welcome back into the program. Halfway through the show, got too many things going on here. I'm trying to run the board. By the way, I uh, did get the live stream shared out on the social media. So if you want to check that out, you can check it out on Ops Lens. You can check that out on the Voice of Reason. You can check it out on the Hoosier Media Network. A lot of different platforms for you to go and watch some of that content, so we appreciate you very, very much no matter where you may be watching, listening, radio, TV, live streaming all over the place. I want to get back to the issue going on with Disney and Florida here in just a little bit. Capitalism versus crony capitalism. We talked about it last, uh, yesterday. And interesting conversation, the state senate in Florida did pass the bill to actually make them, you know, pay normal taxes and not have jurisdiction over their own land, which is very strange. And why we allowed that in the first place, I just don't understand. But there's a new debacle going on between now Governor DeSantis in Florida and Governor Jared Polis out of Colorado. As the governor in Colorado, a far left fringe radical, by the way, says that he is wanting to fight Ron DeSantis' communist move. (laughs) So we'll talk about that in a little bit here first. But I want to shift gears just for a moment. As we sat down earlier today with Congressman Frank Lucas from the 3rd District of Oklahoma. Now, we talk a lot of agriculture in this, and I wasn't going to play it on the program here, but I thought it was really important as we talk about the food shortage. And if you eat food, then this is important for you to understand on how the food is done from the field with the farmers all the way to getting it on the shelf in the grocery store and how important this issue actually is. So this is Congressman Frank Lucas from the state of Oklahoma talking about what's going on with this food shortage issue. It is Congressman Frank Lucas with us here. Congressman, how are you, my friend?
2: Hello, Andy. It's good to be with you. And there's so much stuff going on since we last visited, both at home and around the world. It's, well, it just never stops.
0: It never stops, and it's very frustrating. I mean, so many individuals now, I mean, we're dealing with 8.5% inflation rates. We're dealing with near $4 gallons of gas. We're still dealing with a conflict with Russia and the Ukraine where the Biden administration doesn't seem to want to put harsh sanctions on, and even the ones that we have don't even take effect for another month or two, which I don't quite understand why. We're in a, uh, we're going into a food shortage now, it seems like, in some parts of the world where we could see prices skyrocket here in the country or even just food disappear on the shelves. Congressman, it seems like we're in a year of uh, some potential hurt coming up.
2: Oh, it's going to be a wild couple of years, Andy. When you look at the amount of food that the Ukrainians raise; they produce about ten percent of the wheat that goes into the world export market. They produce, on any given year, around eleven, twelve percent of the feed grains. Think corn, think barley, that kind of stuff that goes into the world of the world export market. It's not that we're going to be short on wheat or corn or beef or pork here in the United States, but because the Ukrainians are such a big part of the world export market on the other side of the planet, with the Russians having invaded them. I mean, Putin basically saying, I want to wipe out the Ukrainian government. I want to wipe out the Ukrainian military. I want to take away the Ukrainian identity. I want to force everybody to become a Russian. Part of that is not just the misery that is brought down on the Ukrainian people. It is disrupting a very productive agriculture. So when they can't put their wheat in the ground this spring, when they can't plant their corn it won't it won't it won't cause a shortage in the United States, but it means if you're buying flour in Egypt or Eastern Europe or the Middle East or in certain parts of Asia, if you're buying corn other feed grains to feed your hogs to feed your chickens, suddenly that's not going to be there, and it's going to drive up world prices so consumers are going to pay more in the United States as around the world because of Putin's invasion Now, I need to also discuss Andy. There will be those who say, well, farmers are going to do really well. Well, it depends on how you define really well. The Russians, for about 20 years, have aggressively sold fertilizer into the world markets because they have lots of natural gas. Uh, They have old-style systems that aren't efficient, but they don't cost a lot to maintain. And they basically, by predatory pricing, pushed a lot of fertilizer manufacturing places like Canada and the United States into being mothballed. So just as the Russians are disrupting the food supplies on the other side of the planet, by their actions and the rest of the world boycotting the Russians, that's taking fertilizer off the market that we become accustomed to. So it's going to take a few months or six months or nine months before we get production back up. So fertilizer prices are going to explode. Any farmer, any rancher who's bought diesel lately, or trucker knows how much diesel's gone up. So our input costs are going up dramatically. and in my part of the world, Mother Nature is not cooperating. So it doesn't matter how high a priced wheat is, if you don't have anything to cut, if you can't sell something, it's not helping you, Andy.
0: Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. There is a lot of input cost problems that we have, not only with the gas and the diesel, but with the fertilizer. Now, we're going into planting season right now, though, for many of the farmers that are prepping their fields, that are getting ready for the springtime planting. What do they do about the fertilizer? Can they get it? Is it just more expensive right now, or are we trying to find, like, home remedies right now, just a deal?
2: Supplies exist, but the price is accelerated dramatically. Last summer, when Linda and I bought 4600 nitrogen, we paid about $450 a ton to put on our improved grasses. When Linda and I sowed wheat in October, we got enough rain to sow in my home county on our farm. It came up, and then it didn't rain again until probably three weeks ago. We got two inches of rain. So we didn't have enough moisture over the winter to buy any fertilizer after I put the wheat ground or to top dress in the spring. So I haven't bought any. But my understanding the last time when it rained a little bit and I got really optimistic and went to the to the elevator, the fertilizer I was paying $450 for last summer, what they had on hand, they quoted me at $1,080. Now that was what they had on hand, and they weren't sure what the next fertilizer is going to be. So I'm not sure what nitrogen will cost if you're in a part of the district where you've had enough rain, though you should have had your nitrogen on your wheat already or if you're getting ready for cotton or milo, grain sorghum as we call it in the modern world, or uh, corn, I'm not sure what that's going to cost. Uh, and yes, there's going to be some supply shortages, but this this is making it more difficult for farmers and ranchers to do their job, and it's going to cost the consumer on the other end more. Again, thank you, Mr. Putin, for using your dictatorship in Russia to go bludgeon your neighbors uh, uh, in the Ukraine. And by the way, we are trying to help the Ukrainians. Yeah. Congress and the administration have banned the importation of Russian oil and natural gas and coal in the United States. And you'll say, Andy, why were we importing Russian oil to start with? Well, that's a fair question. Yeah. But as I can best determine, there are basically three states where the refineries have been buying Russian oil in Massachusetts, Washington State, California. You know what the common thread there is, Andy? Places where they've been opposed to drilling, places where they've been opposed to building pipelines to move product, places where they've been opposed to improving or building new refineries. So they chose to buy Russian oil because that way they didn't have to have any infrastructure. They didn't have to drill. They didn't have to support these other actions that produce more domestic energy, but it's gotten them in a position now since we've stopped buying Russian oil, which probably shouldn't have been buying in the first place. That's why gasoline's exploded in Massachusetts price-wise, Washington State and California. Do you know the old line about cut off your nose to spite your face? Well, our friends on the coast did a real fine job of whacking themselves.
0: Yeah, and they feel like they can wash their hands of it because they're not drilling it, so therefore everything's fine. It's it's unbelievable that that we're allowing this mindset, and then we finally cut it off. Now we have this gas prices skyrocketing all over the place, which this ties into the agriculture side as well. We just got word this last week of the Biden administration allowing the E15 with the ethanol during the summertime, which is going to supposedly help lower some of the gas prices. But with a shortage of grains because of what's going on in Ukraine, is that going to overstrain the system already of corn that we're already going to have a global shortage of already and then try and take more of it off of the food market to put into ethanol? I mean, why are we we already straining an already strained system here?
2: Uh, The Biden administration, Andy, is flailing about trying to come up with some way to be able to say they're doing something about the price of energy. But if you go back from the very beginning there, whether you want to call it the New Green Deal or the Green Agenda or whatever you want to call it, their proposal was to let prices go up by restricting production of of oil in uh, the United States, which means then less gasoline and diesel can be made from product in the United States. you drive up the price, you'd force people to consume less. That was how they were going to address the environment. They were going to use prices to compel people to spend less. I will acknowledge, I don't think they could have guessed that uh, Mr. Putin would invade his neighbors in Ukraine, but it has set off this gyration now where prices have exploded, especially on the coast. And on first blush, I know the idealistic enviros will say, well, you know, you can just drive less. <laughs> but in the part of the world that we're talking to today, you've got to have fuel to go to work you got to have fuel to get your kids to school. you got to have fuel to get to the grocery store. you got to have fuel for the tractor. you got to have fuel for the long-haul trucks. you got to have energy in order to make the economy work. And now they've triggered all of this. The statistics that are coming out about the inflation rate, I mean, the most recent numbers I've seen, inflation in the cost of doing, or you can say the value of your money going down, whichever you prefer, 8.5% over the past year. That's the highest number uh, since December of 1981. Yeah. Gasoline across the country is above $4. And if you're in certain places, I'm told it may be $6. Uh, groceries are up 10% statistically. Uh, the price of feed, 21%. Thinking about those, uh, those, those uh, feed grain market issues in the Ukraine, uh, the Biden folks literally have outsmarted themselves by trying to create artificial shortages to run up prices to make people buy less and then you have this war that produces what's available now in the last few days the Biden administration said well maybe we need to drill some more public land when for a year and a half they wouldn't let leases that have already been let be used Uh, the ethanol thing is just a way to say we're going to put more supply on the market but again There's already a demand for all the corn that's being produced in the United States. Uh, They've boxed themselves in pretty tight, but it's all self-inflicted. Republicans didn't do this to them. It's self-inflicted.
0: The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier.
2: Fighting for freedom
0: every day. The voice of reason with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back in. Last few minutes here on the show for a Wednesday, the midweek celebration, Congressman Frank Lucas. So, like usual, with our congressman that we talk to on this program, we go way longer than what we're allotted to on this uh, uh, show. So, Here's what we're going to do, as usual, after the program today, when the uh, podcast is uploaded of the program, we're also going to upload an additional special feature podcast that has that entire conversation. I highly recommend that you check it out. It's extremely important information. Again, if you want to know what's going on with the energy, with Russia and the Ukraine, with the food shortage that we're about to see, the massive prices, not only imagine this, imagine this is the Joe Biden world that we have to live in now. Because of what he's doing and the uh, the way that he's approaching these issues, imagine this world, if you will, and you only have to half imagine it, because half of it's already actually happening in reality. We have an eight and for eight to eight and a half percent inflation rate, probably going to get up to double digits here in the next couple of months by the summertime. Imagine, if you will, twelve percent inflation, five dollar gas, six dollar gas per gallon. On top of that, food. With the eight and a half to nine to ten to eleven to twelve percent inflation, it's also going to be higher with food specifically because of a food shortage globally. Where sure, we grow a lot of food here in the U.S., we can just keep it here. The government's not going to like that because we get money when we export it to other places and other nations buy our grains or our meat or whatever that we grow here in the U.S., they buy it, which means the government's getting revenue. If we decide to keep it here in the United States, they're not going to have as much revenue. Which means their revenue's going down, which means they're going to do one of two things. They're either going to force us to continue to sell it and have a shortage here in the U.S. as well, or... They are going to keep it here, and then they're going to raise up our taxes on top of the 12% inflation, on top of the $6 gallons of gas, because now they're losing revenue from not exporting a lot of our grain. So we're going to be ish okay here, like not starving like they are with China, with people jumping out of apartment buildings starving. We're not going to be that bad, but we are going to be in bad shape, because now you're going to have to set aside an extra $1,000 to maintain the current living standards that you have right now that is the environment that the biden administration has created that is the environment that the left-wing progressive liberals have created because they are so anti-america first that they would rather try and buy everything globally because they want to be part of the global market part of the new world order that's going on and i use that term as in the global uh, globalism i guess you could call it that's going on every single day that's welcome to the biden administration and the democrats running things right now all over the country. A couple minutes left here. I do want to finish up our conversation. We'll talk more about that as the days go on and as it gets worse and worse. Trust me, there's plenty of time we can talk about that. But right now, there is a opportunity, I guess. There is a, uh, a, an offer thrown out by the state of Colorado regarding the tension between Disney and the state of Florida. Now that Florida is working to actually end... You know, local government control of Disney making their own decisions on their tax rates, on their property, on their land, kind of like an Indian reservation that makes no sense to me in any way, shape or form. Uh, And they're ending that because, hey, you probably shouldn't have that in the first place. You're not a nation like the United States. You're not a nation like an Indian tribe. You are a company. That's looking to make profits based on your corporation and the product that you punch out. You are nothing more than that. You've gotten a little big for your britches. You're kind of to the point where you're, quote unquote, too big to fail to where you just don't give a crap about the consumer or anybody else except for your own now personal ambitions, which is a liberal progressive policy and agenda with brainwashing young children and fighting against a state that chooses not to brainwash young children. So Colorado has come out with an uh, interesting offer by Governor Jared Polis, the governor of Colorado, saying that DeSantis is putting socialist attacks on the private sector by ending the special freebies that the company has been able to enjoy since the mid-1960s. Does that... uh, that, I don't know if that makes any sense to anybody. Now, you got to remember, Jared Polis in Colorado is a flaming-left Democrat socialist left-wing hack, and he's trying to attacked DeSantis for socialist attacks on the private sector, which is hilarious. He literally has the city of Denver, obviously in Colorado, and a city councilwoman, I don't know if she still is, at least was a year or two ago, that was a renowned, openly known so communist that said she was a communist that said that people within Denver city limits should not have any property rights or any property lines because it should be for the state and for the city. No one should have any private property in any way, shape, or form. And this guy, a Democrat left wing hack of the Colorado governor, Jared Polis, is trying to tell the state of Florida because they're getting rid of tax incentives for a company that shouldn't have had them in the first place, is doing a socialist attack on the private industry. <laughs> this is the lunacy we're up against. And they can just say this crap, and the media is not going to call them out on it. So I guess that's what we're here to do, right? For ourselves here on The Voice Reason. Until then, podcast up in just a little bit. It's not going to happen, by the way, but it is funny that they're trying to twist things. This is the sign of desperation from the Democrat Party. That's it for us today. Back at it tomorrow. Until then, be your own voice of reason. This is The Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.